On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're burning down the family home with Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington in Little Fires Everywhere, returning to the sinister world of the Geist Group in season two of Homecoming, and taking a trip to Pandora. No, not the big budget location of James Cameron's Avatar, but the rather more modest location of the CW's latest shoestring sci-fi. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that after having listened to Daisy Edgar-Jones and Paul Meskell's steamily read lines about fresh crabs and jogging bottoms on James Corden, has some serious suggestions as to how the two could make the government's coronavirus briefings a lot sexier. And speaking of sexy, I am, as ever, joined by my two devilishly desirable co-hosts. First up... A man who, like myself, is rocking the bald, stubbly look that, in this time of lockdown, is both highly attractive and eminently practical. It's Boyd Hilton. Good afternoon, James. Uh, does this mean you're now uh, watching uh, James Corden, The Lay Late Show, James Corden? Not regularly. It was a normal bit of pop culture. I was alerted to it. Someone sent uh, me the link on YouTube, okay. and it's incredible. Yeah. I, yeah, I take it you've seen it. Yeah, they were like, great. Yeah, they were their, very good. their chemistry is off the chain. It's just, it's yeah, very yeah. good. It was a very good segment. I enjoyed it. I encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to look it up on YouTube. Also joining us on the show as the filling in Pilot TV's bald white man sandwich is a woman who, when we first met, added a full five inches to her height with a magnificent beehive that would have put Audrey Hepburn to shame. It's Terry White. Terry, am I allowed to share the secret to that magnificent do? Uh, of course. Have I told you the secret? What, that it was in fact a pair of your boyfriend's old socks wrapped up in your hair? My, well, that was only part of it. Oh, it, oh, there's more. Yeah, it was a, a, like a half present piece of foam, my ex-boyfriend's old sock, a pair of tights, and then fake hair over that, and then my real hair over that. That sounds like a lot of admin. Yeah, it was. And I have to say, there was always that slightly awkward bit um, if you ever went home with a gentleman. Not that I did very often, but for example, when I first met my um, now boyfriend, the first time you take it off your head <laughs> is quite the moment. Um, <laughs> when they notice you doing that or, or, you know, think in the middle of the night that it's a rat or something. <laughs> it's quite something. <laughs> that is incredible. That's extraordinary. Is there a whole chapter in your forthcoming memoir devoted to that? No, there's oh. not even. Like, don't mention the beehive. Well, in, in passing, but it, you know, it, it doesn't uh, I feel kind like, of warrant I feel its it own does. thing. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the next book. Okay. Feels yeah. like you, you missed a trip that, you know, with some sort of hollowed out thing, you could have used it as sort of a, a handy storage device, could have kept things in there, you know, <laughs> something small animals. Did, well, yeah, something like an insect once fell out of there. Oh, something was, like an insect. Something like an insect. Was, well, I was on the bus and something kind of fell out of it and onto my lap and I obviously freaked out and and screamed and it ran away. So I'm presuming it was some kind of insect. An insect or an alien or your, you know, weave making a bid for freedom. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Extraordinary. Well, quite how that segues into what we've been watching i don't really know but i will say that i have watched the rest of devs it's taken me some time it's taken me some time but i got back to it and much as i hate to agree with boyd on really anything <laughs> it is very very good sorry terry it's very mm -hmm. very good i mean it's not 
happy. It's a bit fucking full on. Uh, it's eight hours of sort of like pulsating yellow light, sort of existential misery and, you know, treaties on determinism, free will and the bleakness of existence. But uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I will say, I do think one of the reasons you will absolutely hate it. So I remember the thing you hated most about the pilot was when Nick Offerman, who I stand by the fact that he's cast superbly in this. He is amazing in it. Um, when he starts going on about we live in a deterministic universe, oh. you were like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> like that, that is basically the entire series boiled down to one bit of dialogue. Oh, so. God. Yeah. It's no. it's very good though. It's quite it's thought provoking. It's beautiful to look at. It's really well made, and it's uh, it kept it kept me guessing where it was going. Like that a lot. I don't think it's my top of the year, Boyd. Sorry. Uh, top normal three. People are top still, three. Yeah. You know what? Top it might three. might well be top three actually. I think I yeah. think normal people is still is still my number one. But yeah, Dev, that's some that's some good shit. Bottom three. Bottom three. Can I mention <laughs> it, what about the scene by the dam where they get out of the dam? Oh my I mean, god! Incredible! Yeah. Oh my god! What? Yeah, oh my that's god. an incredible scene. Oh just my the god. conception of it, the execution <laughs> yeah. of it, yeah. and the, the shots are. Yeah, Fantastic. the man's got some skills. The man has yeah. got some skills. Uh, Terry's like pseudo intellectual bollocks. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I even watched the first episode. For a third time, because somebody in my house hadn't seen it, and so I agreed to sit through it again. And I was like, thinking maybe I'd build up some resistance to it if I just kept watching it over and over and over again. That I it may kind of, but no, no. Someone in your house, Emlyn, Emlyn the baby, demanded to see Depths because of his interest in determinism. Emlyn the baby was like, bang up for Devs. Wow. It's going to be in his top five I love of the him. year. Is that where his "there is no free will" onesie comes from? <laughs> yeah, well, that's also he has a a his baby Yoda, which he's obsessed with. Um, so I'm much more into him being obsessed with baby Yoda than I am with him being obsessed with devs. You hated okay. those university people, didn't you? Those those men who would like spout philosophy and existentialism. They, 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 this feels like that's your kryptonite. I don't know. I didn't really. I was chronically shy at college, so I didn't talk to boys. Um, Fair enough. So, so if I had have spoken to the opposite sex, then I would almost certainly have hated them, yeah. Did you, I don't know, get a hit on the head at some Like, what happened? Because like, it's hard to imagine the sort of shy retiring wouldn't say boo to a goose, Terry White. Well, oh no, I was I was saying it all internally, and I just don't say it all with my mouth. But um, uh, what happened is I, I came to London, and, and London oh, just brings out the worst in everybody, it. really. Brings out the twat in everyone. Yeah, that was the match. Uh, speaking of pseudo intellectualism, I was on a podcast this week. Uh, there's, a, there's a podcast called Be Grand, uh, done by a gentleman named Andy Gaffney, where his uh, empire Helen O'Hara has done this as well. Uh, the idea is it's the Leaving Cert reset, where he makes you redo. Well, Leaving Cert is an Irish thing. Obviously, I'm not Irish. It didn't apply to me, but it's it, the equivalent of A level questions from the year you graduated, and then talks about all kinds of other stuff. So the result of that, Terry, is, and I shit you not, nearly two hours of full on James Planation. Oh my <laughs> so god! So I suggest oh you download. To listen to it immediately because you'll love it. I actually you... really now want to listen to this. <laughs> yes. I don't know what that says about me, but I'm like, oh, I wonder if I've got time to listen to it tonight. Friday Night Raver. <laughs> yeah, even I think I'm insufferable on it. But if you do, uh, Big Grand is available wherever you get your podcasts. And mine this is, is the latest two hours. This is two hours of you. <laughs> Wait a minute, talking about your school. <laughs> well, no, no. So that's only part of it. The school test. Oh, okay. So I do answer a few theology questions. So you hear me trying to, you know, in the way that Terry hates, try and applying sort of pseudo philosophy to, among other things. Star Trek first contact. Oh my god! Uh, there's also me banging about Star Wars and Arnold Schwarzenegger and basically all of the things that I love. 
So, oh um, god yes if if anyone feels the need feel free to uh you know check that out you should chuck it on your um if you have a dating profile anywhere um <laughs> you should chuck a link and to you that do. i don't think that would help here's me talking about myself for two hours i mean that's basically most dates unfortunately for women. Say, men just talking about themselves for hours is it that just day trial run of the date and then they can therefore decide you know it's better that they know what they're getting themselves into ahead yeah, of time yeah. right get james explained that virtually before having the live performance yeah. yeah that seems that seems entirely fair sorry <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, right, what have you two been watching? Um, I have been watching uh, White Lions on Netflix, which is this um, show set in Ibiza. It's basically Ibiza Uncovered meets, you know, Death on the Nile. It's kind of um, an Agatha Christie-style whodunit involving uh, dance music DJs. Um, in fact, the disappearance of a, of, a, of a DJ 20 years previously. His sister, his body is discovered... Uh, 20 years later in Ibiza somewhere, his sister, played by Laura Haddock, comes to the island to investigate what happened to him, to try and solve the crime with the help of his best mates from 20 years previously. And this, and the action kind of cuts between 90s Manchester and that scene, like the Stone Roses, you know, charlatans and dance music scene, <laughs> to present-day Ibiza. There's a scene in it. It's fucking crazy, right, this show. This show. It's, and it's, so this is the show that's, that's created by, written by Alex Pina, who does La Casa de Papel? Um, the Please mention hit. that every week, boys. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> AKA Money Heist, the biggest um, international hit on Netflix. And he does this thing. So, Money Heist itself is incredibly over the top and grandiose and operatic and lavish and all of that. And he's transplanted that style to this show. And it is, it, it's it, the, the tone veers from this. Like in the opening episode, um, Danny Mays is like one of the main three or four characters, and he's like the comic relief. And he ha- stashes some cocaine in an inflatable banana, spills it onto his lawn, and his dog starts getting high on cocaine. That kind of thing happens. Then there's a then there's a scene where a guy gets tortured via dance music blaring into his <laughs> head. Right, tortured by dance music. And then there's scenes of extraordinarily gratuitous sex and nudity, amazing amount of boobage, slow-mo boobage action in it. Um, and uh, Lawrence Fox is in it. Lawrence Fox playing a northern kind of um, druggy, hippie guru figure, absolutely preposterous. And Angela Griffin as the organiser of sex parties in Ibiza. So it's one of the most um, whack shows i've seen in a long time and yeah i did finish all 10 episodes and it is and kind of in the end the mystery element is actually quite compelling despite some of the worst dialogue you'll hear in a long time there's some absolutely terrible there's one bit where where someone says he is he became the greatest dj in the world this little idiot like they're how how do you know he's the greatest dj in the world it's full of hilarious and and strange and terrible moments but in the end it'll probably be a huge hit because people are going to lap it up so that's White Lines on Netflix. And we couldn't re- review it um, because it was embargoed till the day it came out, which was last Friday. I really want to see that now, Boy D. <laughs> yeah, I think you might quite enjoy it. <laughs> the, I think the I will. absolute insanity of it. Well, I've been watching um, Line of Duty Season 5. Um, as we know, this has been going on for quite some time, which is just phenomenal. It, I mean, it wasn't actually that long ago that we all talked about it and reviewed it, but... Christ, Stephen Graham is amazing mm. in that season. Just brilliant. Um, I also watched, somebody mentioned to me on Twitter that um, Celebrity Gogglebox, which is a kind of an 
um, occasional special of Gogglebox that he's done with certain random British celebrities. They've done a US version, which I knew nothing about. And there's an episode on 4OD or for Christ, I can't fucking remember what we call it. But <laughs> And it's just so mentally cast. Like there's Tyra Banks and her mum just watching telly in bed. Megan Trainer, the Osbournes, Ozzy sat there with a puppet, like talking to the puppet. <laughs> Rob actual low with his actual sons. It's just mental. And you kind of go, Gogglebox is such a, you think an inherently British concept that I kind of thought that we find it interesting to watch people watching telly and would it actually work with proper rich American celebrities? It actually does. Um, So I greatly enjoyed that. And then as part of my refusal to give up on Killing Eve, I watched Mm. episode five this week, which um, again was like, I talked last week about how episode four had a different kind of structure. Um, And then this week had a completely different one again. So we all focused on Villanelle and her backstory. And she went back to Russia, very little action in it. And Again, it's still not, I don't know if something about it still isn't working for me. The pacing was so different this week. Boydie, I don't know if you watched episode five yet or yet, no. and the last couple, but mm. it, again, it was completely different again. Um, something really dramatic happened in episode four, which is then not picked on up at all in episode five because it's just focusing on Villanelle. There are a couple of really beautiful set pieces, but get, it's just still not kind of tracking for me. Am I going to give up? Am I fuck? <laughs> I'm, I'm in it for the long haul, regardless. Um, and maybe it'll make maybe it'll make more sense when we get to the end and we see how the entire series hangs together. But I think if you're going to choose to drop episodes episodically, they each have to kind of stand on their own because you're expecting people to come back week after week. Um, so that was my week, pretty much. I think that celebrity goggle box, yeah, which I saw some of, is on. Is that's on E4 every Thursday. Um, every by Thursday. The way. Yeah, every Thursday. And and in America, it's brilliantly called Celebrity um, Watch Party. That's what they call it. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm opening a can of worms here, but what is Gogglebox? What? Oh, oh. Honestly, every time I think we hit a new low of you not knowing something, we find a new depth that we previously haven't hit. Gogglebox is a very long-running, very popular uh-huh. Channel 4 show. It's on at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. And it's a series of families all around the UK. And it's essentially you watch them on their sofas at home watching telly. And so it's all, it's about their relationships. It's about how funny they are. They're all kind of characters and different types. It's different classes. It's different parts of the country. It's different family setups. It's like a microcosm of this country. And it's fucking beautiful. And it makes you cry and it makes you laugh. And honestly, in this time of mental uncertainty, it's become my most the thing I get most excited about watching every Friday night. So just to be absolutely clear, this is you <laughs> sitting down watching on TV other people watching TV. Yes. I love this, the fact genuinely J- James, I'm sorry, Gogglebox which has now been going for like about 5 years and about 15 series and is a pop culture phenomenon is is the highest rated show on channel 4. Wins you like genuinely yeah, that you genuinely don't know that this is happening and has been happening for years and years. <laughs> the people have been watching. I don't watching. know about it, Point. By the way, let me say that I t- used to do a show called Flipside many years ago. I was on Flipside before. Right, right, mm-hmm. yes. I used to do it regularly and that was the forerunner, really. I mean, it used to be a bunch of kind of 
snide j- journalists like us. Dickheads. And, you know, Justin Lee Collins would do it. Dickhead. And um, they attack James Brown and, you know, blah, 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 Sam Delaney, all these people. And it was a regular bunch of people watching TV. People, and so we invented, Flipside invented watching people watching TV. But now um, Gogglebox has turned it into an actually brilliant thing. But I, I, but I'm not surprised, right, that you haven't watched it. That doesn't surprise me. I've heard the name of it. But what I just didn't really know what it was. Me is it, it hasn't cut like there's clips doing the rounds on Twitter. There was a big clip this week because they kind of there's a sequence where they tore apart um, Boris and the government's response to coronavirus, and that kind of went viral this week on Twitter. So, sometimes I feel like you're just not on the same internet as everybody else. So what is it these people watch? Are they like sitting down watching devs? Like what's what's happening? Like what, yeah, they, what do they yeah, watch? Anything. It's it's all it's anything. a mix of stuff. So it'll be the crown and then it'll be um the news and then it'll be a documentary, it'll be a soap. It's like the whole gamut of telly from Netflix to uh, terrestrial, it's it's all of it. It Movies. sounds like a really shit DVD commentary. Um, I mean, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm you, t- why don't you oh, watch God. one single episode <sighs> of Gogglebox before next week's podcast? Really? Just to try and and you can it can either be the the British classic Gogglebox or you can do the American celebrity one because you you must like Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe's in the fucking West Wing, for example. I mean, that's true. That's true. Okay, so you want me to watch an episode? Of Gogglebox. But I think he should watch the British, I think he should watch Uh, the classic British one because that's that's the best one that really kind of will will be able to make you understand what the concept is in its purest form. Any chance I'm going to like it? Um, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, good. Good, I'm glad we cleared that out. Excellent. Well, we'll see if I can find the will to do that for next week. Right, shall we go on to a listener question? Uh, this week's question comes from Derek Carney at DJC1616, and he says, Hello, with all this isolation time, what is your recommendation for a TV show you can watch in a day. To clarify, a season of a show that stands alone with no context needed that you can watch in one day. So, I mean, in Boyd's case, this is pretty much any TV show known to man because you do this quite regularly, don't you? But, okay, so so what, are we, what, what were your interpretations of this? What are the ground rules here? Well, so I started out and the, the things that I was going towards were things that only had one season because that in, in and of itself is yeah. right. So go My So-Called Life. And you can watch the entire thing in one day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it kind of felt like a cheat to only choose things with one season. Yeah. So then I tried to look at things. Um, for example, could you watch Buffy season three without having watched Buffy season one or two? You couldn't. Like, no. it's very, very rare that you can find a show that you don't need any contacts. But Dawson's Creek, <laughs> which has been in my mind this week... For reasons because we'll get into. Sh- a show we're going to review later. <laughs> the first season of Dawson's Creek, and it isn't just about what came before, it's about what comes after. Because the first series, by the end of it, all of the plot points were resolved. So you had Pacey and the weird, inappropriate sexual relationship with his English teacher. Joey oh, and Dawson, will that. they, won't they? And they kissed at the end. And uh, Dawson and Jen... Their relationship, they'd broken up by the end because he couldn't cope with the fact she wasn't a virgin. All of these simmering I'd forgotten that as well. Points. Christ, yeah. it hasn't I mean, aged well, has it? Yeah, it, it, some of it's problem- deeply problematic. <laughs> um, they were all resolved by the end. And actually, Series 2 kind of was like a fresh start. So I'm going to say 
series one of Dawson's Creek. It's a complete viewing experience. You could end it there and never watch another season. It would still stand alone. And was it 12 or 22 episodes the first season? Oh, God, I can't remember. In my head, I've got it as 12. I don't know why. All right. All right. I mean, because 22 episodes in a day. I mean, you could do it. You could certainly <laughs> you could. do it. You could. I'd say I'd recommend it, but you could do it. Okay, that's good. It's a good shout, Boyd. What do you think? Um, well, I, I think that's a good shout. I, I did stick with single series shows. I just stuck with self-contained stories. My, fa- mm. I just thought I'd, I'd mention three of my favourite all-time self-contained TV dramas. So I've gone for The Singing Detective, which was the uh, BBC One um, Dennis Potter drama starring Michael Gambon in, uh, when did it come out? In 1986. Um, there you go. And um, I once... Uh, this is one of my favourite shows of all time. It's kind of like the fantasy world of a man in hospital being treated in hospital for a severe skin condition, and he fantasises that he's a film noir detective. So there is a film noir kind of fantasy mystery storyline going along his own psychodrama of looking back into his life and key incidents, traumatic incidents from his child and stuff. It's the it's peak Dennis Potter, and Dennis Potter is, the, I think, the greatest TV drama writer until like of that era you know in the 70s and 80s and it's incredible i once spent new year's eve in new york with my friend neil who's american watching a, a marathon of the singing detective all five hours five and a bit hours of it across midnight in um, an art <laughs> cinema in new york and it was one of the best <laughs> new year's eves i've ever had and the other one i was going to pick was the night of the classic hbo miniseries mm. with riz ahmed and john Turturro, in which riz ahmed so kind of meets this woman wakes up and, he, and she's dead next to him and it's Diddy or not killer or not it's an investigation of the American criminal justice system and a brilliant mm. who done it or did he do it and the other one is Sharp Objects which is my favorite um series of that year um the absolutely fantastic um Amy Adams ad- adaptation mm. of the Gillian Flynn novel um directed by Jean-Marc Vallée and I think those all those series are like unbelievably compelling that you can do in seven eight hours in a day and they're all fantastic yeah, limited series seem perfect for this, don't they? Certainly book adaptations. Definitely. I mean, Sharp Objects was on my list on the night of, which is one of the best things that's ever been on TV. I fucking love yeah. that. Uh, that's so good. Uh, I would add to that, which we've talked about relatively recently, State of Play. Uh, what else would I pick? Uh, any season of Cracker, I think you could do, because they're all really short and they kind of stand alone. And that's one of my favorite all-time TV shows. Um, relatively recently, The City and the City, which I know Terry did not enjoy at all, but I really liked. American Horror Story, any anthology show, really, isn't it? Fargo, mm. any of those? You pick Pick a, pick a series, take it as mm. you will. Uh, Watchmen, of course, is now standalone, so you could do that. And, of course, all of normal people, which at this point I think everyone has watched uh, since it seems to become a runaway global success. But uh, if you haven't watched that, that would be a good thing to do. You could probably get through all of Fleabag, I would say, in one day easily, couldn't you? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. that's, that's what there's 12 episodes, isn't it? 12? So, yeah. yeah, you could totally get through all of that. That's worth doing. Same with Home Blood. Both seasons of that could probably do that in a day. There are so many options uh fireflies what 15 episodes definitely do that lots and lots of options for you there if you would like to hurl a question in our direction then feel free to do so uh you can either dm it to pilot tv mag at pilot tv mag or you can at me on twitter uh and i will see if i can pick it up there at james c dyer right shall we move on to this week's news what has been happening in the news anyone uh, I'm going to quickly mention that um, if you're a fan of Harlan Coben Netflix shows, which I think we all are, that he mentioned himself, he revealed that The Woods, which is an adaptation of his 2000, I think, seven novel, which is a really, really good novel. Uh, one of, I mean, I love all his stuff, but that's one of my favourites, is arriving on Netflix globally on the 12th of June, quite soon. And it's a Polish adaptation. 
So yeah, he's selling that they've sold. The, they sell the rights to his novels left, right, and centre. We've had two or three British versions, but I'm just excited about having a new Harlan Coben TV series, murder mystery, crime drama, Polish and all. Friday the 12th of June on Netflix. They are very watchable. I do love a bit of Harlan Coben. Yeah, he's brilliant. So there's some kind of tangential, well, not that tangential, Tiger King news, as has become a regular thing on this podcast, which is the team who did Tiger King. So that's directors Eric Good and Rebecca Chaiklin. Um, There is talk of them doing a Siegfried and Roy um, series, mm-hmm. documentary, documentary series, essentially in the same gist as... As Tiger King, there was even talk of it kind of coming under an umbrella title of Tiger King because obviously their show involved them wrangling tigers. Um, he Horn died last week from complications from COVID nineteen, um, and this is kind of already in the works apparently, which it will include um, their kind of story, but I think also going to centre around the incident in Vegas the very famous incident when Roy Horn was really seriously injured after being mauled by one of the tigers on the show. Um, so, I mean, we know so much about the insanity of that duo. You've got to wonder what kind of else there is to tell. Huh. But, yeah, it can sit alongside all those other limited series and other Tiger King spin-offs we're going to get in the next year. It's going to be the year of Tiger King, isn't it? It is. Interesting, interesting. So, okay, so a bit of Mandalorian news for you. Not only have we learned that The Mandalorian is not going to be delayed uh, by COVID-19, because it was all wrapped beforehand, so that's going to come out on time, but Katie Sackhoff, Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica, will be reprising her role of Bo-Katan, which she played in the in the animated series, in the next season of The Mandalorian. But that was only half of The Mandalorian news, because feared bounty hunter Boba Fett will be returning as well. In news, that was not greeted particularly warmly, frankly, by me or online. It feels a bit like a get why they're bringing in lots of people from the animated series, because these are actually great characters that maybe have slipped past people's notice. But I just think Boba Fett's dead. Like, what are you doing? I don't I don't understand why that's happening. And I think the reaction online was along those lines. It was a bit like, really? This feels a bit tired. Who knows? Maybe they have an amazing storyline for him, but it feels unnecessary. Terry, I can tell that that's your. This is your <laughs> zero fucks given face. <laughs> I'm very familiar with it. I'm I'm plaiting my hair. I'm like looking <laughs> out the window. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Boba Fett. Mm-mm, whatever, whatever. I'm going to talk about Tom Hardy doing Dickens in probably the least kind of surprising <laughs> and most fitting news ever. How has he not done Dickens already? Um, is the question. So he's teaming up with. Stephen Knight, who obviously did A Christmas Carol at Christmas, which um, I think went down pretty well. Um, He obviously created Peaky Blinders, um, and they're coming together to do this. Knight is writing it again. But um, Hardy's going to be an executive producer, apparently, alongside a whole host of other executive producers, including Ridley Scott. Mm, Yeah. It's it's uh, it's an exciting project, and it, of course, um, Stephen Knight created James's favourite show as well on Apple TV Plus. Uh, yeah, indeed, indeed, he did, which yes. everyone should see immediately. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that see is amazing. See, Terry, you're all godding it. You've literally never watched a single episode. Hang on, hang on. Are you really about <laughs> to kick off with me? for having an opinion on something that I've never experienced, <laughs> watched, or know anything about. Well, okay. If I James have to watch Dyer. Gogglebox for next week, I think you should watch the first episode of C for next week. That's what okay. I think. 
Fine. Is this a deal? That can be a deal. That is a deal. You watch C episode one since when we we didn't really like you didn't watch it when we reviewed it. So you can watch that for the first time, and I will bring my goggle box. (laughs) This is gonna be good. Yeah, this All is right. going to be good. A C versus Goggle box off. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, what other news have we got? Uh, there might be a community movie. Did you see this? So Dan Harmon's been talking mm-hmm. about this for a while now, but it looks like there may possibly be some movement towards getting a community movie. Whether it will actually happen, I do not know, but that's been doing the rounds a little bit. But um, something that is definitely coming is Hamilton. Hamilton mm. will, its stage version, will be coming to Disney Plus in July. That is very, very exciting. On Friday the 3rd of July, uh, people were expecting to wait another year for that and see it in cinemas, but that's moved up and it's going to be on Disney Plus. Now, I've never seen Hamilton. I've been desperate to see it. And to see it uh, on my TV in my front room with the original Broadway cast is pretty exciting. So, uh, yeah, I'm very much down for that. Did you see that Johan Renk, the director of uh, Chernobyl, is directing a uh, an exec producing show running a limited series called Girl A, which is adapted from an upcoming novel by Abigail Dean, and um, is a drama about a successful New York lawyer who is the subject of a national news as a child for her escape from a family of religious fanatics. Wow. I am down with every element of this project. I just want to say. <laughs> You do love your religious, religious fanatics, fanatics. Johann mm. Rank. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's yeah. all there. Um, we don't know who's going to be it or anything like that. Okay. Um, you know how mm. a Neil Gaiman's Sandman series has been on hold due to the whole virus situation? Well, a little bit of good news for people who've been waiting for that is that his uh, Audible are bringing out some audiobook adaptations of the Sandman comics, the first three volumes of the Sandman comics. And it has to be said, they've got an incredible cast on board for this. So much so that now you feel like when the series comes along, you can only be disappointed. Uh, but they've got <laughs> Gaiman himself narrating this. Uh, James McAvoy is voicing Dream. Riz Ahmed uh, as the Corinthian. Kat Dennings is doing uh, is playing Dream's sister, Death. Taron Egerton's in it uh, as John Constantine. Samantha Morton's in it, Terry. Uh, Andy Serkis. <laughs> Michael Sheen playing Lucifer, because obviously Michael Sheen is playing Lucifer. But um, um, it sounds really, really good. I cannot wait to listen to this. I think it's going to be great. So that will keep me going until the series arrives. What else have we got? Anyone here a Percy Jackson stan? No? You shock me. No. Well, anyway, Rick Riordan's <laughs> books about the sort of demigod child. There were a couple of films of this which didn't do, I think, especially well. But this is now getting a Disney Plus TV series. So if you're a Percy Jackson and the Olympians fan, that will be coming to Disney Plus at some point in the future. Oh, talking of teen things, Alex Ryder um, is coming to Amazon Prime Video. They they uh, bought the rights to the TV version of that. And um, uh, it's got a good cast. Stephen Delane and Vicky McClure are going to be in it, as well as the, the kid playing the main character. Um, and I've actually read a few of those Alex Ryder novels for weird reasons, and um, they're actually really good. <laughs> yeah, they are supposed to be good. Um, so, um, that, yeah, and they arrive on June the 4th quite soon, so we'll probably be reviewing that the week after next. If oh, exciting. Did you, did you ever yeah. see the movie adaptation? I did. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't wasn't so good. No. Um no. speaking of things that aren't so good, the Purge and Treadstone have both been cancelled. Ah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Seems fair. Seems fair. Any other yeah. news? Just to say that um Sky revealed that Gangs of London has been a huge their biggest ever um their biggest, most downloaded mm. show of the year. And Sky Atlantic's second biggest original drama launch ever, which I think must be second only to save me, I assume. Um it's been sixteen point six 16.6 million downloads of the series so far. I mean, it's massive for them. It's been a huge hit, and I, and, and I do absolutely love it. That's in my top three, definitely, of the year. Um, but they didn't take the opportunity to reveal that it's been recommissioned, which I think 
It's got to be, hasn't it? It's yeah. got to be recommissioned. Mm. But anyway. You would think. Well, I'm, I must admit, I'm surprised that show has been as successful as it is, not because it's not brilliant, but just because the level of violence I would have thought would have alienated a huge slice of the audience. But clearly not. Clearly not. So, yay. Good stuff. Good use of slice. Uh, good use of slice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, not in any way connected to slicing, but this is some news that might appeal to Terry. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is getting a 30th anniversary summer clothing collection which will be available for sale. If you can imagine what that looks like, uh, this is available uh, exclusively at the Fresh Prince online store, but it's a 10 plus piece unisex collection inspired by the Fresh Prince himself. Oh, I, mean, I was hoping for like Colton chinos <laughs> and well, woolen uh, V-necks. Yeah. Argyle well, woolen just, sort of yeah. body warmers. Mm. I could probably just go to Gap. Oh, it's going to be all it's going to be all dungarees and very brightly coloured kind of sleeveless shirts, Technicolor. isn't it? Well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I should be wearing a lot of that on next week's show. I think that's it for news. I think that's it for news. So, with news behind us, shall we move on to this week's reviews? Before we get on to the reviews section, uh, I need to point out that we recorded this podcast on Friday the 15th of May, and uh, tragically, over the weekend, Lynn Shelton, the director of Little Fires Everywhere, which we review this week, died tragically in LA of a, a pre-existing condition, previously unknown blood disorder. Very accomplished independent director. She first came to the fore in 2006 with uh, We Go Way Back and she's since went on to write and direct eight films in the last 14 odd years. She's won any number of awards. Best known for her improvisational approach to the way she made her films and for a very understated style of, of camera work which she favoured. She directed all four episodes of Little Fires Everywhere and uh, is best known for films like Hump Day and Your Sister's Sister. She's worked on Glow, she's worked on Mad Men and outstanding director who died tragically this weekend at the age of 54. First up this week, we have Hulu's adaptation of Celeste Ng's novel Little Fires Everywhere, which begins with an arson-based whodunit before spinning into a study of race, privilege and the class divide. But let's be honest, the main reason Terry's watching this one is because it stars former teenage thirst trap and lust object for a generation of Dawson's Creek viewers, Joshua Jackson. Isn't that right, Terry? Oh, my God. I mean, first things first, right? It's got Pacey in it, which I didn't realise until I started watching it and lost my shit. Went onto Twitter to share this and every woman of a certain age kind of rushed back at me um, exclaiming their love for Pacey, which is what happens every time you mention the words Pacey Witter on Twitter. Um, Now, here's the real question, which is how is Pacey playing a man who has four kids in high school when Pacey's in high school. I don't understand the maths of this. I was like, hang on, you can't be old enough to have kids in high school. How does this work? It's very, that bit's very confusing. But as you say, this is um, an adaptation of this incredibly best-selling book. I haven't read the book. The author um, is a producer and a co-writer on it, but I think everybody involved has been quite clear that they wanted this to stand as kind of its own thing. Now, I think what's fair to say is that Reese Witherspoon has really cornered the market in kind of rich, bitch, passive, aggressive <laughs> alpha moms. So her character, Elena, is really only a breath away from Madeline in Big Little Lies. It's like Big Little Lies. It's produced by her as well and her production company, Hello Sunshine, who specialised in these kind of um, book adaptations. As you say, it begins with this mystery. She stood on her front lawn. Her amazing big house is on fire. 
Um, and then it kind of goes back in time to tell the story of how you got there over these first episodes. But what it actually is, is really an exploration of class, race, gender, and motherhood, because it revolves around her, but also um, another woman called Mia, played by Kerry Washington, who's an artist who comes to this kind of suburban white picket fence utopia with her daughter. And it's about their families kind of becoming deeply involved in each other's lives, um, but they're incredibly different. So she's a nomadic artist. She smokes pot. She lives in her car sometimes. Whereas Elena um, Reese Witherspoon is very much this type. She makes pancakes in the morning in the shape of her kids' initials. She has these colour-coded lunch bags. Um, the detail is brilliant. And then as their families kind of come together through circumstance, it's really about um, the tensions along these fault lines of, of race and class. Now, I think this may get two things, really. It may get accused of being soapy and it may also get kind of unfavorable comparisons to Big Little Lies. And I think the comparisons to Big Little Lies are kind of irritating, but are kind of inevitable when you think about Witherspoon's involvement, her character, the kind of fact it's dealing with these women, um, their relationship. It's about family. It's about kind of the domestic sphere as much as anything else. Um, and that kind of leads to my second point, which is I always feel like people cob around Soapy when it's ultimately a drama focused on women, family, a lot of it's set in the home. Um, and to cut to the chase, it isn't, if you are going to make the Big Little Lies comparisons, it isn't as good as Big Little Lies. Let's just get that kind well, of... Not as good as season one way. anyway. Well, well, yeah, good point. But I, I did really like this because I think Kerry Washington is incredible. She's mm. got this real kind of quiet power about her. And her teenage daughter, Pearl, who is played by Lexi Underwood, she's great as well. And Witherspoon is just, I mean... She just nails this kind of character with her eyes shut. The chemistry between the two of them is really interesting. The stuff unsaid. There's a, an amazing scene towards the end of episode two where they talk about motherhood, um, which is incredibly powerful. Um, and you see how motherhood's going to become a theme. There's a, a subplot developing with a woman um, whose child's been adopted that you sense is going to be become more and more important. Um, all I will say is Pacey Witter is wasted. Like... If you're going to have Pacey Witter, he's Joshua Jackson, for all seriousness, I think he's a great actor and incredibly hot, but also a great actor. <laughs> um, and he does this kind of downtrodden, you know, lawyer husband who goes out and grafts so that they can afford this big house. And only, you know, he just wants her to pick up the dry because the whole thing about dry cleaning, she schedules sex twice a week at a certain time. He's kind of this classic guy who's... Um, doesn't have that much power in his own household. And so he doesn't get that much to do in the two episodes. You do get to see him in a pair of wife runs, though. I mean, when, yeah. Well, when I say he doesn't have that much to do, <laughs> taking, you know, his trousers off is one of those things. Um, but he's, he's definitely underused in the two episodes I've seen. I'm going to probably just do all of this in one go because mm. that feels to me the kind of thing it is where you really need to watch it all together but from the two i saw i'm kind of quite interested in this and quite compelled mainly as i say because of the two performances from witherspoon and from kerry washington they're very good it has to be said no one does entitled uptight white woman quite like witherspoon <laughs> it's, it's extraordinary she has absolutely nailed it a couple of things i read online kind of said this is 
the second season of Big Little Lies we should have had instead of the one that we did have, which is slightly mm. reductive, but I kind of see what they're doing. Um, I thought it was interesting. So they're set in 97, isn't it? So it's, it's a period, yeah. but it doesn't feel it. It feels very, very contemporary, I thought. And I think it may, you could argue maybe has slightly soapy elements, but I think it's elevated by the kind of insightful characters and some really heavyweight performances. I think it works really well because you've got that suburban mystery, but that almost in some way takes a backseat to this character mm-hmm. drama and this nuanced portrayal of, of race and class and the tension between the two. And I really liked the character that uh, that Witherspoon plays has that real, um, she means well, but she's utterly blind to her own entitlement, like completely like tone deaf to it all. And like, at some point you're like, oh God, like you're cringing at some of the stuff that comes out of her mouth. Uh, and, the, and the bit where it kind of hits home, the way she, she's introduced to Kerry Washington's character because she calls the police because she sees her sleeping in her car. And obviously they don't do that in her kind of neighborhood. Um, and I like the fact that when there's a sort of brush with the police early on, Washington says to her daughter, like, we don't get a free pass like they do. Like, if you get arrested, that's mm. it, you're done. Like, they'll just get sent home and it'll all be fine because they're rich white people. Like, we, for us, it's serious. And it's kind of, it's it's understanding the differences there between these two women, between their, their different sort of uh, classes and their different, roles they're, they're different parenting styles like and the way they relate to their children is very very different as well so there's lots of lots of lots of layered things going on there but yeah I, I i thought this was really good really good as well boy did you uh did you enjoy it yeah it's really it's a really good story it's a really it does it does do the thing my, my current you know it does open with a, a big incident and then flashbacks <laughs> yeah your favorite back. device seven months my favorite device seven months previously <laughs> as all things have to do um but in this case it's a, it's a very compelling idea um, and I just like the way it's dealing with everything, isn't it? It's dealing with class, mm. race. I mm. mean, interestingly, in the novel, um, uh, Kerry Washington's character wasn't black, wasn't African-American. Um, they were both white. So that's a kind of new element that's brought in that adds to the mix of dealing with all the issues that it wants to address. Um, the kind of the fa- the, the, the kind of stresses of family life, like the dinner scenes in the family, um, are quite stressful, particularly with the young the daughter who's yeah. going through at school, and and um, Reese Witherspoon is being fairly horrible to her. Like, incredible, it's un- it's quite no holds barred when it comes to the insensitivity of parents. Like they both Kerry Washington's character and Reese Witherspoon's characters are fucking horrible to their daughters, to their respective daughters at various points in the story. And I think, and I thought that was really, I thought that rang really true because. You know, people can be horrible to their kids. You know, in various senses. We talked you about get the before. Impression, with I think in this that it's not malice. It's that both of them want their children to be like them and are unwilling to accept that they're not. Sure. And it's that mm. trying sure. to fit them into a mold that they don't fit into. Sure, but the, but Kerry Washington gives her lovely daughter what mm. for? For she a really minor does. infraction. <laughs> for a minor. Let's face it. Um, but I just think it, it, I, I like the fact that it gets down and dirty into the, into the, these ideas. Um, there's there's a great scene, the book group scene, where they talk about the vagina monologues, which has to have the most mentions of the word vagina in TV history ever. <laughs> I thought um, Terry particularly would enjoy that. And there's a great thing about there's a very topical thing about employing about Reese Witherspoon employing Kerry Washington as a maid slash cleaner, mm. considering Cleanergate on Twitter this week was one of the most tedious Twitter disputes oh in the history God, of mankind. Oh my God! She calls the she says a, a house manager, yeah. and they're like, "What's a house yeah. manager?" And you exactly. realise it's just it's just a way to sensitively say 
maid and to cover her own shame at having hired Kerry Washington essentially as her maid. Exactly, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I just think it's got loads... Every scene, I mean, you know, I hate that word. I don't like the... I think when people say soapy, they often mean just really compelling and entertaining. It's really entertaining. Um, And every scene is working, you know, to further the drama, I think. And I I think it's really interesting, yeah. So I'll carry on watching it. So good stuff. And Little Fires Everywhere drops on Amazon on Friday, May the 22nd. Next up this week, we have season two of Homecoming. If you recall, this was based on the podcast series of the same name and season one star Julia Roberts as a social worker dealing with veterans under the shadow of a shady corporation. Season two, though, takes an anthology type approach and this time focuses on an amnesiac veteran played by Janelle Monet, who wakes up on a boat in the middle of a lake. We've all done it. Now, Boyd, did this make you feel and has it got the juice? Can I get points for knowing two Janelle Monáe songs? <laughs> that's great. I mean, yeah, that's very good. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, right. Well, I I absolutely loved um, Homecoming season one. Uh, it was it was complete. It felt completely up my street. Um, I've mentioned it before. How Sam Ismail, who directed the whole thing, directed it like a kind of. Um, 10 episode or however many episodes it was, Brian De Palma, Hitchcock tribute, oh. even down to the music. He, he chose music that had been written for Dress to Kill and Carrie. And, he, you know, and it was visually spectacular, like to the point almost of going slightly over the top. It had like four different aspect ratios and huge, big, elaborate set piece tracking shots and stuff like that. And I thought the story itself, which is about this mysterious um, kind of corporation that sets up a private facility for ex-army veterans, traumatised ex-army veterans, to get treatment. And Julia Roberts was a counsellor um, there. And Stephen James, who comes back in season two, was one of the soldiers. And then it then spun off into an almost quasi, slightly sci-fi conspiracy theory. It had a kind of quality of a 70s conspiracy theory thrillers, which I also love. I loved it, basically. I thought it was absolutely, it was both compelling, gripping, weird, and, and visually spectacular. Now, as you say, the advanced publicity for season two is saying this is an anthology and it's a completely different story. Well, it is and it isn't because I feel like if you watch this show, this season two, without having watched series one, you're going to miss out on a huge amount because there are literally, there are, there's a scene, um, I'll try not to spoil it, there's a scene in season two, I think episode three or four, so I've watched six episodes of it, um, which is literally a retelling of, a, of an absolutely specific scene in season one. And so if you don't have that background, I think, because and, and the corporation is back in this series, um, some of the main characters are are characters that had smaller roles. Hong Chao plays a character who was like a receptionist almost in season one. Suddenly she becomes a main character in series two. Um, Janelle Monáe's character, the initial mystery, she wakes up in a lake in a boat and she has no idea who she, who she is or how she got there. And the way they that mystery connects to season one is absolutely fascinating and clever and ingenious it's slightly less show-offy visually than season one um so it's not directed um by sam Ismail anymore and i almost, i think that's fine because i think if you'd have tried and gone for exactly the same quality to it it, it might have backfired it might have felt like it was trying too hard but i still really enjoy it I, I still i still think they've done a really good job of taking the elements of season one um maintaining the kind of weird tone of it of the whole thing and um, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm really, really enjoying it. Terry, now you haven't seen season one, have you? Well, we watched, what, did we watch the first two episodes to review on this podcast? Oh, so you did. Okay, fine. Um, so I watched that. 
but I wasn't. I missed that week, I seem to recall, because I have never seen an episode of Homecoming. And the previously on Homecoming, I'll be honest, shed no light for me whatsoever. Yeah, Yeah, well, you know, that's kind of to Boyd's point. I think to claim it's kind of an anthology series and this stands alone, when you've then got an incredibly um, dense catch-up bit at the beginning (laughs) that says previously on Homecoming and has a shit ton of exposition, not all of which actually helps you understand what is happening, Mm. um, kind of pays, uh, makes that kind of moot point, really. Look, I wasn't madly keen on the first season. This kind of sci-fi thriller thing isn't really massively my speed, as as we all kind of know. I think it was really interesting, as Boyd's talking about, that Hitchcockian nature from the framing to the editing, this mad score. I went back and watched the first episode of season one to, to kind of try and spot the differences. And that mad orchestral score mm. that plays over <laughs> the first however many yep. minutes of the first episode, when you look back on that now, it's absolutely fucking mad. And it isn't as kind of full on in that way. Because when you compare the first two season openers, this one is kind of much more traditional. It's still got a certain nature of it, the way it's um, shot and edited it feels it still feels Hitchcockian in in nature and in flavour, but I don't think it's as bold as or ambitious as season one. She's amazing. I think she's incredible. Mm. She's super compelling, um, but this this isn't really for me. And I think the fact that I didn't watch all of season one, I just don't think you can come into this at season two and kind of get the same out of it because mm. I I don't think they completely disconnect at all. Um, it's interesting. It's quite cool. It's um, really slick, but not what not one that I'm going to continue with. Yeah, I, I the previously on really threw me because I thought, oh, brilliant anthology! I can jump straight into this. And then I I watched that previously on, which runs for about what 30, 40 seconds. Which is like I don't know what the fuck is happening. Like it was <laughs> utterly baffling to me. Uh, and then you jump into this, but then it's and and you're you're left kind of really out on a limb because you don't know what's happening. And then suddenly you've got Janelle Monae in a boat doesn't know where she is doesn't know who she is you don't know who she is you don't know where she is and i think that helped a little bit because initially i thought oh god i clearly i've missed a load of stuff but really i think her being baffled and trying to piece together the plot maybe helped me while i was baffled to piece together the plot and i enjoy that kind of you know amnesiac piecing together the mystery of her past i like that trope i think it's fun so um also this was half an hour and i was like come on half an hour but um yeah i i i this this fascinated me to an extent i was i was drawn into this maybe against my will possibly because she gets picked up by dr flox from star trek enterprise john billingsley and that immediately <laughs> then made me interested so i then started paying more attention but i thought she was really good in this and i i there were a couple of moments which didn't give me chills exactly but you know those bits in mysteries where a piece of the puzzle fits together and you're like oh fucking hell there are a couple of quite nice moments like that in there which i enjoyed so you know this is definitely not you know slid straight into the top of my must watch list but i'm curious enough to maybe want to see how it goes though boyd if you're saying i need to go back and watch the first season beforehand really Maybe that won't happen. Well, remember the first season. The, the half hour episode thing is really important because it's so it's not you know it's it's you can you can do it in about five hours. It's yeah. fine. Honestly, you will get so much out. You will love it, James. I'm, I'm yeah. telling you now. I think yeah, this you, is peak yeah. you. I'm I'm surprised totally. you didn't watch yeah. the first season. It's fully but up your street. I would implore you. I would implore you to watch season one first because you get yeah. so much more out of it. And those moments you're talking about, those hair on the back of your neck moments where the mysteries, certain twists are revealed, are so. Um, pleasing 
mm. much more so if you've seen season one. Okay. And I, and I think you will, and I, I think you'll love it. I think once you get into it, and, and actually the, the, the ingenuity of it is absolutely connected to season one. In fact, Amazon just stop fucking pretending. I'm not, maybe it's not them. Someone just stop pretending. You don't, you absolutely need to watch season one before season two. More, I would say, more than any season, recent series I can remember. <laughs> Seriously. So it's the anti-anthology is what we're saying. Okay, so, it's the so, anti-anthology. Yeah. It's so not an anthology. But perhaps that's the thing. They've mislabeled it as an anthology. What it is is a shift in focus. They've shifted protagonists, but it's yeah, a continuation sure. of the story, yeah, which exactly. is a very different yeah. thing to an anthology show. The only thing about yeah, this is that previously on didn't sell season one very well. You know, it didn't make it look very compelling. It was just a weird, look, like mobile phone footage of Bobby Cannavale talking into the camera and then someone rubbing <laughs> some kind of homeopathic medicine on their wrist. I don't, I don't know what is happening. And then very little of Julia Roberts in the previous film, which is perhaps because she's yeah, not in ridiculous. season two. But that seems, given she was of the course. main character, that seems utterly daft. But hey-ho. Yeah, just fucking watch season one, honestly. All right, all oh. right. This also drops on Amazon on Friday the 22nd of May, much like Little Fires Everywhere. And that is Homecoming season two. Finally this week... In something I firmly believe should become a new regular called Terry Watches Shit Sci-Fi, we take a trip <laughs> to Starfleet Academy or a very close approximation of such to hang out with alien teenagers in what is essentially Beverly Hills SETI Alpha 5. More entertaining, of course, is the fact that I'm going to make Terry tell you about it. So, Terry, this is Pandora. What goodies <laughs> did you find awaiting you in Pandora's box? Oh, my God. I mean, I feel like... Every time you make me watch one of these things, <laughs> my reaction is always, what the fuck is happening? But, I mean, seriously, what the fuck is happening? Now, I, I'm i going to talk about this under the assumption that this wasn't and isn't a parody. <laughs> now, do correct me. <laughs> do correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm working, from the, <laughs> I'm working from that assumption because it took me a while to work out if it was or if it wasn't. Now, there are several problems with this show, um, which is the writing, <laughs> the chemistry between the actors, the acting, the practical sets, the CGI, the stunts. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no world building whatsoever. There's either zero exposition or... The most amount of exposition, like literally you'll ever need about anything. And I was thinking, you know, it's like low budget telly sci-fi, almost like 1980s sci-fi. And maybe this is all deliberate, but I can't imagine why it would be deliberate. And it's kind of clearly there's Star Trek. Even I got Star Trek references in there. A bit of Star Wars, a bit of Starship Troopers, but kind of like, you know, they all went to school or something. The writer, I believe, um, wrote some Star Trek comics and wrote actually an oral history of Star Trek. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> because essentially at the heart of it, you've got this young um, young girl, right? Let's do some basics. Now I've kind yeah. of said what's, what's wrong what? with it. Let's do some basics. <laughs> it's, it's set in 2199. You've got this young woman um, called Jax who's played by Priscilla Quintana, now it opens and she goes for a run and turns around and her whole fucking planet is destroyed. Don't exercise, kids. You only find out it's it's a fucking planet because she talks about it later and you find out she was orphaned. But the planet, like to my eyes, was just a building. It was literally like a sports center or something, which I found super confusing. And then, so, oh shit, she's orphaned. So then she goes to Earth, I think. 
to attend this space training academy where a rich uncle, creepy, weird uncle is basically a professor. And then it's about these friends she meets in this bar called the Black Hole, which I mean, seriously, which is one of the cheapest sets I've ever Could seen on say, television. That bar, I'm almost certain they didn't even bother to build a set for. They've just gone to some fucking club in Shoreditch and just turned the lights down a bit. My God, I was like, Christ, it made the bronze in Buffy look like the height of beautiful practical. I mean, and you kind of, I, I think... From the first episode, uh, it's setting up these guys as being friends. You know, they meet and five minutes later, they've decided they're going to be best friends. They're going to be in a study group together. They're clearly going to help each other out of peril. And, you know, their friendship is going to be the thing at the heart of the show. Apart from they're all kind of terrible types. There's a manic pixie clone girl. There's an <laughs> alien who they're really awful against. An emotionally um, repressed alien. An alien. It's, yeah, who's who is like kind of partly um robert pattinson in twilight he's kind of, do you know what i mean crossed with spock yeah there's, there's a bit where he turns to goes you wish to be intimate with her and you're just like oh oh my god Christ. oh my god dialogue is so wooden it could give you splinters yeah so you do, so they kind of set up this friendship group who you don't believe in because they don't have any banter they don't have any chemistry um uh, you don't really believe that they're friends because they met three minutes ago, even though they've now decided they trust each other implicitly. I don't know what was really happening above and beyond that. I've got to be quite frank. There was a nice party <laughs> where it kind of hinted that there's some secrets and she was wearing a nice dress and somebody said, oh, don't you screw up? Well, oh, there is also, by the way, the most awkward, like, meet-cute scene you've ever seen in your life between her and this assistant who I at that point I was thinking this has to be a parody this can't be for real because the the acting and the dialogue and everything is so unbelievably bad um so I mean that's that's all I've got to say really I just I'm it's a, it's, what? it's an odd one isn't it I think like this show I think when I used to talk about the expanse in your head I think that's what you thought the expanse was like this this yes. kind of really low budget shit sci-fi that only I watch this is a very CW thing like we came very close to reviewing the outpost at one point and that is an even cheaper sort of CWS show that sort of found its way to sci-fi um but yeah, like so, like CW do do these shows quite well. If you ever if you've ever seen the hundred, that's got good production values. It's got Ricky Whittle in it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun and it's really good. And it's run for many seasons. Actually, it's it's a genuinely good show. But then you've got something like this, which is just thrown together with lunch money, and it's just drivel and it feels like such an interesting premise that you know they, they toyed with the idea of doing a Starfleet Academy show for ages and never got off the ground. And it feels like they've tried to do it here, but without any of the flair or panache that that star trek even when it's you know not as good as managed because this is a level of shit that even star trek at its worst has never plumbed um you know you've got paper thin characters they've desperately tried to give a really diverse cast but there's no consistency to the tone among the characters whatsoever absolutely none like you've got uh, Quintana, who seems like she's in like a teen, you know, a teen sort of high school drama. And then Noah Huntley, who turns out feeling like he's fallen off an RSC production or stepped out of the vampire diaries oh. or something. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> he is, I have to step in here because Noah Huntley, what a, f <laughs> he is incredible. I mean, what the fuck is he doing? He reminded me of Simon McCorkendale. Do you ever watch Manimal? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> right. He's he's like a reincarnation of Simon McCorkendale. Oh he's so posh. Do you know Noah Huntley's full name is Noah Cornelius Marmaduke Huntley? Oh my god. Anyway, carry on. Oh god. But it's just yeah, it's just it's just the tone is all over the place. There's some conspiracy you don't care about. And I have to say that that Xander, the TA that she's clearly being sort of shipped with, the acting there. I mean, I'm not gonna call out the antiphon, but fucking hell. There's a bit where they're on a planet and there's a bit of peril and just like the expressions that he's trying to force onto his face as that is happening. And as you say, Terry, there is zero chemistry between any of the characters and it's just i mean look i have an incredible amount of tolerance for shit sci-fi i have seen every episode of babylon 5 but you couldn't pay me to watch another episode of this <laughs> it is quite there is something quite um enjoyable about having a genuinely terrible show to review though i i, I was amazed yeah i was amazed i mean th- we should say this you know the, the two big amazon prime shows aside there isn't anything else on tv this week um <laughs> but it is, it is spectacularly terrible. I was amazed by how bad it was. I mean, the CGI in that in the in the scene in when they go with the portal in that on the planet, it was like you know someone was like drawing some blue portal thing um, on the on on the. It was absolutely grotesquely it terrible. Like Chucky, do you remember Chucky? Yeah, yeah. And talking about is it is it parody or not? There is a moment where suddenly they play Thomas Dolby. Um, she blinded me with science, which is like a comedy song. <laughs> And that suddenly goes all like wacky. It goes like wacky. The tone of it is so weird. Um, it is. It is quite. It is entertainingly bad. It genuinely is one of the shows. That is, it, it, it's so awful. The dialogue is so. The acting is so all over the place. Um, particular shout out again to Noah Huntley. Um, the posh. It's so many posh Englishmen. Yeah. He's got another posh Englishman mate where they sit there being posh with each other. Why? Why? Like well, this is mystifying. Uh, it was. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. It is quite extraordinary. Uh, and if that recommendation has sold you on Pandora, <laughs> then you can find Pandora on Sci-Fi UK from Thursday, May the 21st at 9pm. I will say there is something else out this week. You said there was nothing else out, but uh, Mayans MC, season two of Mayans MC, drops on BBC Two on Sunday, May the 24th. As you know, I'm a big fan of this show and was of Sons of Anarchy as well. I believe I talked you through my rewatch of that in excruciating detail. So uh, this season two <laughs> is actually a real step up from season one of Mayans. So this continues the story as Easy, Easy Reyes, the prospect for the Mayans Motorcycle Club, tries to balance his sort of duty to the club with relationship with a drug cartel and the feds who've got their hooks in him as a big rift with his brother angel and this and i think what works about this is they've wisely shelved this really dreadful love triangle that was bubbling away in the background in season one and they've kind of set that aside because it just wasn't working and as a result it's a lot more compelling this time around it focuses a lot on this sort of revolutionary group uh functioning in mexico and the conflict that that has with the cartel and how the american government were trying to sort of um meddle in the narco politics of the region so it's much much stronger uh, the showrunner is elgin james and he's been doing a really really good job uh, and it feels like this show which was very much in sander vanicky's shadow for season one might finally be pulling out of it and sort of establishing itself like i had reservations in season one because i think sons of anarchy was best when it focused on the club and the relationships and just that world of motorcycle clubs uh and then when it started getting into sort of politics and cartels and drugs and gun running when that became like the central plot point it felt like it lost its way it got a little bit too complex and this show started 
started with that complexity, which I thought was a real mistake. I think they should have they should have pulled it back and dialed it down. And but I do think in they haven't and they haven't reversed course and they've committed to that. But I think they found clarity in season two, uh, and season two of Mines actually is really good. Now Kurt Sutter, if you remember, was fired towards the end of this season, so he will not be taking part in season three, which I guess does make me a little bit worried for where this goes. But I think James is doing a good job, uh, and despite the fact that the 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 finale of season two Sutter was vocally damning of on on twitter i think largely because the the script he wrote for it maybe isn't uh represented well i think it was it was changed quite heavily after he'd been fired and he wasn't happy with how it actually ended but uh despite kurt sutter's misgivings i do think this is very good if you have seen mine's mc season one then definitely definitely uh press on with season two and if you haven't and you like sons of anarchy i do uh recommend you dig out season one and then maybe give season two a try as well. So that drops season two of Mayans MC on BBC Two on Sunday, May the 24th at the very precise time of 10.55. Anything else, Boyd? <laughs> is there anything else, anything also out that we should be paying attention um, to? The only other thing really is, is season two or even maybe three of 911, which is Ryan Murphy's um, yeah. emergency service drama. Uh, which is actually pretty entertaining, actually. As far as procedurals go. Yeah, it's got Angela Bassett, Peter Krause, Jennifer Love Hewitt is in it. So it's kind of like got great cast. It's, and unlike um, uh, Pandora, the production values are pretty immense <laughs> for the show. Like the way they do it's like casualty, but like ratcheted up <laughs> with a $10 million per episode budget. <laughs> And that's on Sky Witness slash Now TV on Tuesday at nine o'clock. Uh, isn't there, is this Dynasty on Netflix? New Dynasty, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I stopped watching that. <laughs> but if you want a bit more Dynasty, then that's coming too. Right, I think that is it. Shall we, before we go, have a final Banshee, a little a little cast back at a, a classic show that we would like to recommend? Terry, do you have something for us this week? I do. I would like to Banshee um, Secrets and Lies on Amazon mm. Prime Video. This isn't the um, Mike Lee film that I'm sure you're desperately familiar Thanks with, fire. James. Um, this is <laughs> this was a, um, a network show starring, right? Get this, Julia Lewis as a homicide detective. Like that in and of itself <laughs> means I was sold. The first season also starred Ryan Philippe um, as a prime suspect in a local murder. There was a dead kid. Season two, it only ran to season, two seasons before it was cancelled. Um, Michael Early was a prime suspect in a local murder. You get the gist. Now, I think it was undone by comparisons to Broadchurch because they didn't come out at dissimilar times mm. and um, the whole, you know, who killed the kid, central mystery. Um, I think it suffered by comparison. And Juliette Lewis is very unlike the Juliette Lewis that we know, that we talked about just last week. So we're used to her being crazy and fiery and all of that. Whereas actually she plays this kind of hard edged stony homicide cop who keeps everything inside and is really quite restrained and is quite insular. Um, and Ryan Philippe also kind of plays against type. I, I, I mean, you know, I can watch any kind of police procedural crime drama thing, as you well know. But I think this actually got a bit of a kicking and didn't quite deserve it, especially season one, I thought was um, really well done. And both, as I say, are on Amazon Prime Video at the moment. I think you have to pay for them, but still, worth a fiver. Worth a fiver, indeed. Yes, I've, I've heard good things about that. Never watched it. I think it was on Alibi. It was on a UK TV channel here. Um, mm. Yeah, but I think, I'm pretty sure it was on Alibi. And I think it was on their, their kind of um, catch-up service as well for a while, but probably isn't anymore. 
No. It was a good show, yeah. Um, I've gone for South Cliff. I've chosen this um, uh, because I was looking through all four's um, box sets, and this is on there at the moment, um, so you can watch it, all four episodes. And if I don't know if Terry saw it. This is, for me, this is like key Terry territory. It was written by Tony Grissoni, um, who, writer-director, he did Red Riding, which I've banshee before, mm. which was a brilliant um, series, Channel 4 series about, um, adapted from the David Peace novels, about the Yorkshire Ripper, etc. Um, and uh, it was directed by Sean Durkin, who's the Canadian guy who made Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, which is one of my favourite kind of independent films um, of, of recent years. And it was about, and it starred um, the terrifying Sean Harris, the always terrifying Sean Harris, as a killer, as a kind of um, a guy who goes on a shooting spree in his, um, in his local area in, in Britain. And it's all about why does he end up going on this seemingly random shooting spree? And it looks at kind of the trauma that led to it. And um, it looks at kind of issues like bullying and abuse. And it's, it's, unbelievably bleak it's one of the, when i was flicking through and i was like, oh my god has terry seen this one of the bleakest most relentlessly downbeat yet brilliantly made <laughs> and brilliantly acted series i've ever seen so that's why i had to i had to banshee it it's also got shirley henderson in it joe dempsey's in it eddie marsan's in it it's antichisco delario it's got a brilliant cast honestly and it's really gripping but fucking depressing um south cliff on all four do you know what this is, this was on my list of things to watch? And I can't remember why I didn't watch it, but I remember thinking this looks utterly grim, um, and I should get into it. So I'm now going to watch yep. that this weekend, Boydie. That does feel very Good. much like yeah. your thing. Uh, I'm I'm doing my thing now, where I'm gonna I'm gonna banshee something, which you're gonna be like, everyone knows what that is, and that is almost certainly true. But I was thinking about it this week, and I wanted to talk about it on this podcast, and so this made sense to do it here. So I want to talk about the 1983 miniseries V. And the reason I want to talk about this is this was, you know, we talk a lot about event television these days, and when everyone's watching the same thing. It, I, as I remember, and bear in mind, I was very, very young at the time. Like V was my first recollection of event television, where everyone was talking about it, everyone was watching it, and at the same time, like people, it was a really big deal. And I think maybe it sticks in my head most because my mum would not let me stay up to watch it. <laughs> Literally, I would, I was getting really upset <laughs> because I was not allowed to stay up and watch V, but. Did you guys watch this when it first aired? You must have seen it. Well, Terry, maybe not, but oh, of course, uh, you must have. Because yeah. no. it's a really, really, really big deal. So this had uh, this had Mark Singer in it. Michael Ironside was in it, though I think to be fair, he wasn't in it until the second season. Um, but Robert England was in it, and the whole point of this is it was about alien ships arrive, which is a trope we're familiar with now. Alien ships arrive on Earth. The visitors come down and they offer the gifts, all the fruits of their knowledge to humanity, but they have an agenda. And uh, obviously, it comes out. And the the famous thing from V, the very famous scene is when they take off the skin suit and they're lizards underneath and actually they eat humans and that's why they're here spoiler for a show that came out in 1983 but uh what's really good about this is that it had really heavy fascist undertones to it which was deliberate in fact the origin of this was really interesting so there's a novel uh from the 30s by sinclair lewis called it can't happen here which is about the rise of fascism and um the guy who, who who wanted to do V was Kenneth Johnson. He wrote this adaptation of that called Storm Warnings, which was about the rise of fascism in America. But when he submitted it to NBC, they were like, "This." They literally, they, and their quote was, "This is too cerebral for the average American." So he walked away, and to make it more marketable, he turned the fascists into man-eating lizard aliens. <laughs> Absolutely serious. So this parable about modern fascism became an alien invasion story, and a lot of the delivery is still there. Like the symbol, the alien symbol, it uses 
lines and dots, but it's basically a swastika. Uh, they have these friends of the visitors, sort of teenagers, which are basically Hitler youth. But there's there's a lot of echoes for today as well. The first thing the aliens do is they start to demonize scientists and they start to demonize the press because these are the people most likely to find out their secrets. And again, it's slightly uncomfortable echoes of what happens in America now, where you start voices of authority, uh, credible sources who can contradict the government are discredited to try and shield the government from accountability. And there's a lot of that in here as well. But this was also really, really good television. Like it gradually played out, you know, the secret behind the visitors there, uh, there where, where they create the uh, the weapon ultimately to kill them and how that comes about is great. But there was there's a lot going on here. So production was actually stopped for two weeks because Dominique Dunn, uh, who's 22 years old, and she played the part of Robin in the show. She was killed outside her apartment by her ex-boyfriend while running her lines with David Packer. Uh, and so she gets recast just shortly into the production uh, by Blair Tefkin, who ultimately replaced her. But uh, the show is actually very dark. And the final battle, which is like the follow-up to this miniseries, and ultimately is when they succeed in taking down the visit. There's more excitement, more action there. But this is really good. It turned into a series. It was a, it was a limited series followed by another limited series. And then it turned into a weekly series, which was shit. So never, never watched that. And there was a remake of it of two, in 2009 with Marina Bakarin. Did either of you watch that? No, well, that's terrible. So don't. No. Uh, yeah, very anemic. It doesn't have any of the appeal of the first one. It doesn't have any of the the, the layers of it. But um, really, really good show, and uh, and I heartily recommend it. It hasn't aged brilliantly, obviously, because it has nineteen eighty three level special effects. But uh, V was very good, and if you have never seen it, you. I mean, it's not streaming anywhere, obviously, but you can pick up the DVD for pennies, <laughs> uh, like for absolutely pennies. There's two two DVDs. The miniseries is on one, and the final battle is on another one. But uh, but yeah, you can probably get them for about fifty p each, and I heartily recommend them v isn't v the whole concept which david ike stole for his entire worldview as well, well every, where everyone in power is basically a lizard is in that? a skin suit yeah. yeah 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 basically yeah as are we all yeah. of course boyd um mm. yes good yeah. good show right and with that i think that is it for another episode of the pilot tv podcast we do hope you enjoyed it and if you did, please do head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Boyd and I have a constant sweepstake on how up the film and TV chart we can climb. And if you get this into the top five, there's a kebab in it for me. So please do. Uh, and if you really can't be asked, then maybe look to the example of Mr. Ism, uh, who wrote this on his Apple Podcast review. Pilot TV, five stars. I'm afraid to say I have just fallen down a well and have badly injured my legs. I have 2% battery left on my phone, so just enough to finally leave a positive review for my favourite gang of bellends. I should probably call 999 now, but if I die down here, I'm glad I finally got round to reviewing the podcast. Thank you very much, <laughs> Mr. Eason. We should all learn from your example. That's the kind of dedication I'm talking about. As some of you will have noticed, I've been tinkering with audiograms of late and putting a variety of clips and outtakes from the podcast on social media. So if you want a little extra entertainment outside of the main pod, do follow us on Instagram at Pilot TV Mag and keep an eye on my Instagram stories as well at James C. Dyer. Uh, Terry and Boyd are also present and correct in the social sphere at Terry underscore White or at Terry L. White on Instagram. Terry, why do you not have the same handle across different platforms? It's very confusing. I think if if memory serves, um, Terry underscore White was taken on Instagram. Um, How is that? So like I... the, the That's the handle du jour. Everyone wants Terry underscore White. Like, <laughs> the underscore really makes it sexy. <laughs> it's probably the, um, the more famous Terry White, the... Uh, uh, 
50 something or 60 something um jazz singer in america mm, you should bump her off then you can get it oh um yeah all right fine and boyd who very very uh, uh considerately is just at boyd hilton across every conceivable platform we will be back next week as uh, steve carell joins the front lines of donald trump's foray into the stratosphere in space force and waiting patiently in line at the station for the long overdue arrival of snowpiercer pilot out <laughs>